Hey, what's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, Drance, your campaign to make me as unsettled as possible during the intro continues. Well, that was from the, the king- corner of my eye. I can see you staring at me locked in. Uh, just laughing. I mean, that was the King Solomon. That was the King Solomon Canucks talk intro, right? Because you're like, what's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk. It's like, wow. I say welcome a lot. It's uh, not, don't act like Josh invented saying welcome. <laughs> Might as well have. What is this? <laughs> yeah, no, that was the that was the you can have it all uh, Canucks Talk intro. And I, I was just, I, I thought that was intentional. I might just... Rec- I thought we were laughing together. I didn't mean to unnerve you. Uh, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I truly don't care. No, I, um, I might... Uh, I, mean, I, should, I should just like record an intro. And then that'll be the intro forever. <laughs> There's only one intro. It'll be identical every day, the exact same. See, I think we should just keep brainstorming. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep workshopping it. Maybe I do something completely different every day. Maybe. If you have suggestions for uh, what I should say off the top of the show, hit me up, 650-650. Maybe I will take listener suggestions for uh, how to begin the show. That's a good bet. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Let's take some suggestions. Want a JT uh... Miller-esque waza. <laughs> no. <laughs> Rejected. Uh, <laughs> you are not the first winner of this contest. You know, I'm sorry. You know, today, in honor of the Canucks guest of honor last night, you could have started with like, cheerio. <laughs> Welcome to Canucks Talk. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> um anyways. I won't say who it was. I won't say who it was. But Canucks players, like, this is not a very Canadian No, indeed. Locker room. Yeah. Right? This is not a locker room filled with subjects who grew up in a constitutional monarchy with, with royals the, with the on, queen their money. on their money. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, you know. So there was like a fairly large segment of Canucks players who didn't really know who the prince was, but were like, but I watch suits. But I watch suits. Meghan Markle. I know who Meghan that Markle, is. Meghan Markle, sure. Like, Meghan Markle in the Canucks locker room, definitely a bigger celebrity than Prince Harry. So, this, uh, my Suits NHL player story, I might have told this on air before, but in my past life as a lawyer, I worked on a case with a now former NHL player, and uh, we were doing a day-long mediation, and the senior lawyers on the case were off talking to each other, and I was just hanging out with the NHL player, and the first thing he asked me was, uh, is your job like Suits? And I was like, no, it's not. Nothing like Suits. I haven't seen the show, but I guarantee you it's not. So although, NHL players, I can confirm, are like Suits. Big al- fan of Suits. Although I did get my job and then fake my law degree to avoid a drug charge. <laughs> <laughs> suits is so ridiculous. Like, if you actually sit back and watch it, and now you were actually in that world, so you know, but it's like so oh, ridiculous. Yeah, like, come on. And I mean, I always assume any show about a profession Yes. Like I've, I've never worked at a hospital, but I, I can tell you that Grey's Anatomy <laughs> was was not a realistic depiction of a hospital. No, it's like it's like um, it's like on our hospital ward, there's at least two breakups a day, yes. and we and we cure at least one rare illness a week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What? 
Yeah. I don't think that's <laughs> how enough, it normally fair works. Um, but anyways, they didn't know you were saying they, but they were. it was a big deal that Meghan Markle was there. Meghan Markle is a way bigger celebrity. Like her Q rating within that Canucks locker room is way, way higher. That's very funny. Yeah. I was impressed they stayed for that yeah, long. Yeah, and cheered. And we're and like, like into it. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> that was great. Credit to them. I mean, I guess he's involved in the Invictus Games, right? That's why he was there. Which so, is very cool. Which is a great a great thing. And so there's obviously a uh, you know interest in sport at some level. So uh, that was cool. Yeah, and, and some interesting NHL connections there, too. Like when I was down in um, – when I was down in Florida – they were packing up the basketball court. So the BB&T Center also hosts like the Orange Bowl basketball game. Okay. And they were like packing up the old floor, the old um, hardwood floor that, you know, uh, stadium quality uh, basketball floor to send to Vancouver for the Invictus Games. So Sure. Yeah. So the NHL helping out in, in a myriad of ways, including some promotional assistance from the Canucks with Prince Harry dropping the puck last night and then cheering hard for a JT Miller goal. JT Miller, I'm sure, <laughs> was like, whatever. How- <laughs> it's really into the American Revolution. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, yeah, I just don't think he'd know. Like, I just don't. Oh, sorry, I, I don't think he, like. It no, has, it's not like yeah, I get it. I don't think he has a firm understanding of who the prince is or why it matters. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, how great was Rick talking saying he fist bumped him though? <laughs> it was like I don't even know if you're allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, like, but so good. Did he? Did he? Did he think that the prince had like the same status as um as like a Buckingham Palace guard? Like, I didn't well, know if he no, was allowed to move. But yeah, but like there are there's etiquette about is there how you're supposed to interact with the queen. Really? 100%. Oh, yeah. Like, you can you definitely should not fist bump. I mean, RIP, the queen, I guess the king now. But the the person at the, well, at no the one top. Wa- no one wants to fist bump, no one wants to fist bump king, king Charles. Tr- but, like, yeah. there's definitely, like, I, I there was a head of state, I want to say one of the American presidents, who shook her hand or something. And even that was like, ooh, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're, there's there's a lot of etiquette and protocol oh, about how you're supposed to interact with the royal. So it's like how you're not supposed to wear a tan suit if you're president. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Got it. Exactly. Arbitrary, but very important for some people. <laughs> uh, so I think that's what uh, that's what Rick Tockett was referencing. All right, uh, enough of that. We can get into the game a little bit. Although I do have to say, I mean, like credit to the Canucks to get the win. And I don't want to take anything away from it necessarily. We can dissect it a little bit here. But I, I, I do want to say off the top of the show, like, the Sharks are a tough watch right now, and they're not even a tough watch like they were when they were blowing, losing back-to-back games no, by they've giving like, up 10 goals. They've, like, improved to yes. the level of a tough watch. They're, like, because you think about a movie, right? There are bad movies, and then there are so bad movies that are so and bad, like the they're room. incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was the Sharks a couple weeks ago. Now they're just, like, a run-of-the-mill mad, bad movie that can't hold your interest, that has nothing going for it, that is not interesting or entertaining in any way. Yeah, I think the Canucks deserve credit for, like, leaving no doubt. 100%. You know what I was thinking? Even when it was 0-0, you know, like, maybe if Eklund puts that backhand a little lower, maybe if that first goal stands. But, like, I felt like, I felt like the Sharks would have needed to have, like, a two-goal lead going into the third for me to even... Be, be concerned, be in, or be interested. Mm. For me to even be like, well, this this one can the Canucks pull it off? Like I really felt like the Canucks could have spotted them a couple goals and probably come back. It reminded me of an NBA game where a team ends up winning by like fifteen, 
but there's no run at any point, right? It's not like they they rattle off like a 20 to 2 run. Sure. They're just like consistently better for every 5-minute segment of the game. You know, they win it by two or three points and it's just like, yeah, yeah we're just the better team. Yeah, five we're point, just every five point lead at the first quarter. Yeah, exactly. Eight at the half. Exactly. You're just like, yeah, Ten we're just better going into the fourth. We're yeah. just better than you and we're just there's nothing flashy about it. There's no like, wow, I can't believe that moment although there were some great individual plays and we'll get into Quinn Hughes, but it was just like, yeah, every segment of this game we were just slightly better and you add it up and we win 3-1 yeah. at the end of the game. Yeah, right? and, and that's right. I mean, you know, San Jose had the chances to make it maybe a little bit of a game. Maybe, you know, until the third period, I think you could have said something like, you'd like to have seen the Canucks generate more scoring chances, mm-hmm. but then they generated those in the third. Mm. So, you know, I, I don't I don't know that there was much of any value for us to really take away from it beyond that, you know, it was a solid, like, contained performance. You like that they didn't take chances 0-0, that they looked comfortable 0-0, that they were happy to just grind out one of those marginal, non-flashy wins yep. at home, business-like. I like all of that. And yet, you know, they're going to have to be better on Wednesday. I don't think that's a hot take. Oh, like, no. They're going to have to play better than that on Wednesday. They're not going to be able to spot the Avalanche a five-minute power play opportunity, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, they were good. They like they genuinely it was just a good professional straightforward game where their defense you know looked pretty good like there was very little that the sharks generated you know their their scoring chances like loom large in our imagination because there were so few of them yeah and that's good they took advantage of the sharks for what they are which was a, a get right game a, an opportunity to reset kind of regain your footing after a couple of losses and point yourself in the right direction going into Colorado tomorrow which obviously everyone knows much taller test and then you've got back to back games including one against the sharks uh, coming up on Friday and Saturday but they did what they had to do they get the two points it was no so- no nonsense no drama get your game going back in the right direction after slipping a couple uh, or a little bit in the previous two games I I do want to talk obviously about Quinn Hughes who scores his eighth goal of the season ties a career high and yes we are still in November and he's already tied his career high for goals in the season and it was just a beautiful goal and I know it's kind of funny because we talked about the his shot shooting improvement yeah. and specifically the quality but of the shot. But then he scores the exact same goal that he scored last year. Scores, a, yeah, but it's still like did you, a really did good you goal. See, did you see me throw that at him and he like laughed? He remembered that goal well. Yeah. Well. Um, okay. Quinn Hughes is excellence. Yes. We've been doing it every day. Because he is, and everyone probably saw the stat or heard it on the morning show today, right? The For, Bobby Orr one? The Bobby Orr one. And another Al Bobby Orr one? Yeah, another Bobby Orr one where it's like only- When you're racking up Bobby Orr I comps. know, it's just like, oh, here's another statistical similarity he has with Bobby Orr at this point, and Al McInnes. And sorry, fair. and what was it, 30 before 30 20? 30 before 20, yeah. So, McCarr, though, has three McCarr games has to have a, three has points. has a very good chance to do it. As well. So which it is could which be... is which is where I want to take this. Yeah. Well, because... that's the thing. And I mean, they play tomorrow, right? And so it's a matchup of We're Hughes, Makar. Like it's this is a big deal. And 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 I mean, I'll check the gambling odds as as I speak here. But can I prepare Canucks fans that Makar is the favorite? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I uh, know. I want to prepare Canucks fans for what they're going to hear from Avalanche fans, right? From the from the uh, Makar folks. Mm-hmm. Over the course of, I actually would be surprised if Quinn Hughes is not Wasn't at least Norris a favorite? co-favorite. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he is the he is currently the favorite. Plus one seventy, Quinn Hughes to win the Norris. Plus two fifty for Kale McCarr. Next closest is Rasmus Dahlin, plus twelve hundred. So it's a two. It, right now, it is a pure two horse race. At pure this stage. two horse yeah. race at this stage. Now, 
and Quinn Hughes is going into this one as the prohibitive favorite, mm-hmm. according to the NHL futures markets. But are you ready for what Avalanche fans are going to say? Yes. Are, are you ready? I'm ready. McCarr's getting none of this publicity, and mm-hmm. he still has more points per game. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> That's going to be the line. 100%. It's disgusting. It's true. It's gross. It's true. Okay, sure. <laughs> Look, okay, so I, here's- I, the- I thought goals used to matter. It used to be the goals thing, and now they can't do that, so it's points per game. Okay, sure. Um, I know you're a you're a veteran of the uh, the Hughes McCarr oh, yeah. battles uh, for going back to their rookie season and the conversations coming up here and look like, as we it's said, like it's like Kale McCarr have you not noticed he put up three assists in a losing effort last night it's like yeah that's we used to celebrate that in <laughs> Vancouver too <laughs> how the tables have turned <laughs> um, so this conversation is going to come back and they're clearly they've been the best they're two defensemen of the season that's like caveat number one yeah is no matter where you land nobody is insulting either of these players no, you know what rules. i mean like everybody i think is capable of recognizing that they are both absolute phenoms at what they do i think there's two conversations i think when we get into this there's actually two separate conversations that get muddied or muddled a little bit sometimes one is who holds the title as the best defenseman in the nhl right and then the other one is Who's playing best right now? Who's you know what I mean? Like if you had to if you had to do the Space Jam scenario and win a game for the fate of humanity tomorrow, who are you picking in your lineup? Now you can pick both of them. I understand that, <laughs> and they're a left shot and a right shot, so that would be pretty sick. But you know what I mean? Like there's two there's two different conversations, and I will say, if you're can talking, you imagine that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> oh my god. I'm actually it it is uh... especially now that we know they're both amplified by puck movers. Mm. You know, it's like you actually don't want to saddle either with, like, a defense-only guy. Yeah. Now that we know that, too, it's like, oh, oh my God. It is kind of a bummer that um, they don't share a nationality if we ever See, do See, I think this. that's amazing. No, it is, but, like, let's bring that to the... Uh, look, the U.S. Team USA, Team Canada would be an incredible matchup right Team, now. Team USA has Team USA leveled is, like, scary, scary, terrifying. scary. In a real, then you get to goal and like, oh man, it's it's really scary. But yeah, oh, they have a huge edge in that. I would just like, in terms of like hockey fantasies, to see Hughes and McCarr on a pairing in a game with stakes. Yeah, I would pay an be, awful lot of money to be, be able incredible. to see that. I would pay an awful lot of money. But I think McCarr has that crown as the best defenseman he in the NHL. He should, by, by virtue of his resume. Yes, I don't think you can lose that crown in November. You know what I mean? No, like somebody no, has of to. Of course not. It's like it's like in uh, WWE how you can't lose the title on like a disqualification or a countout. You know what I mean? Like somebody's got to beat you. Somebody's got to do something in the playoffs, probably or in year end year end awards, to unseat you from that crown. But if you want to tell me that Quinn Hughes has been better than McCarr this season, like yeah, no argument. No, he has. Or been. if you had to play, if you had to choose one guy to play a game tomorrow, you would take Quinn Hughes. Yeah, a hundred percent. I just don't think you can unseat McCarr yet. From the title of Sorry. best defenseman in you the NHL. absolutely cannot. He's got the Calder. He's got all sorts of scoring records. Uh, he's got a Stanley Cup. He's mm-hmm. got a Conn Smythe. I mean, he's got a Hall of Fame career. Norris. Yeah. And he's what, 23, 24? Yeah, he was Pedersen's mm-hmm. draft. So he's 24, mm-hmm. 25. Like, come on. This guy's, this guy's an all-time great defenseman. We're blessed to watch him play. Where the Quinn Hughes discussion for me gets interesting is, like, Quinn Hughes, for me, has been a little bit underrated for a few years in that, you know, the discussion has been, like, to to seat him behind, like, Miro Haskinen mm-hmm. and Adam Fox, and I think that was pretty much always wrong, 
and just a product of team quality and circumstance. Like, I think Quinn Hughes has been right there. Um, I think Quinn Hughes was better as a rookie, more impactful when you adjust for the massive gap in team quality, mm-hmm. how, how much Vancouver needed Quinn Hughes versus Kale McCarr being like nitrous in the engine. Like, Quinn Hughes was the engine. Right. <laughs> McCarr was like a, an add-on that amplified a f- quality engine. Now, I think Hughes has sort of been lost in the muddle for a bit, but now that he's leveled up his shot and he's getting those goal totals, and now that this team is winning, you know, I, I just think he's closer to getting his due. You know, and and the fact is is that to suggest that Hughes McCarr was close, I think for for much of the last five years was probably not right, but probably wasn't wild. Mm. The way that people had made it out to be, you know, like these are these are both historically good defenders. They are incredible players, both in their own right. And and look, I I think the notion of Quinn Hughes being like fourth behind Adam Fox or whatever, it's like that's I've called it a psyop before, and I still believe it. I think that is, yeah, it's over. That's over at that at this point. I think. Oh, it should be. I mean, I guess there'll still be people out there who who believe it, and we we don't have to do the whole East Coast uh, no, media I, thing again. But no. I, I look if, if Quinn look, Hughes, everyone needs everyone needs their early bird special. <laughs> but Quinn Hughes, I think the thing is he's having a special season, right? And not that Miro Heiskanen and Adam Fox haven't had no, special he, seasons, he, and recently. Heiskanen also right now is having a special season. He's been incredible. But Quinn Hughes is having, and and again, to be fair, Kel McCarr is having a special, an incredibly special season right now as well. But Quinn Hughes is having like, I mean, I, I think another interesting thing with Quinn Hughes is is he on track to have the best single season ever by a Canucks player right now? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, but the, the, you know, the it's the early. Pace, it's early. The pace I'm not is even so a, wild. Yeah, but I mean, I don't even mean like if he keeps this point production up, but even if you factor in a, a reasonable level of of uh, of regression in there, I like. Look, look, I, I think he's. You have to at least consider it. I mean, Daniel Sedin won the won the Lindsay mm-hmm. and the Art Ross and the Art Ross in a year that the Canucks won the President's Trophy. Yeah. I I I I find well, and it. Henrik won the heart and the Art Ross in the year they won the President's Trophy. No, they didn't win the President's Trophy. Oh, that was the year before, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you got to marry team and mm-hmm. club success, right? Mm-hmm. The heart. I also think there's the a pretty, heart in the Lindsay. Is it creates a really high bar to clear? Yeah. Well, and the President's Trophy, you have to combine them. Yeah. And then, and then here's the other one. Statistically. Statistically, I think you can make a very, very strong argument for Roberto Luongo's first Canucks season. The 76 games. The, the 76 yeah. games, like 930 save percentage, team was a bottom 10 offense, and they won like <laughs> nearly 50 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of like a goal saved above average context, I mean, Luongo's season's going to be pretty hard to beat. So those would be the candidates that spring to mind for me right off the hop. Yeah. Um, I think the only other ones that we would probably put in there are like Pavel Bure's peak seasons in the early '90s. Yeah, that's it probably. But I mean, that's again like even if he, even if at the end of the day the team doesn't have the success, or you know because Henrik wins the heart, and let's say you know Horace or, or Hughes gets the Norris, right? <laughs> Horace, but <laughs> the Egyptian god of defensemen. 
Uh, and maybe he doesn't end there. Maybe you don't have him at the top of the list at the end of the season. But again, like he's, you think about the seasons we're talking about. Yeah. He's going to be in that conversation at the end of the year. Yeah, and and you know the Beret thing. Like Beret was so sick to watch. Like he was so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But you know, like the his best Canucks season when he had sort of 60 50 110 92 93 um he didn't even get heart votes right like the leading scorer in the NHL that season um was Alexander McGillney and Timo Solani who tied for 76 goals like he was fifth in the league in scoring you know i mean just era adjusted yeah. like Bure was a lightning bolt and one of the greatest goal scorers of all time he did lead the league in scoring next the next season he had right. 60 goals Again, and that led the league in scoring that year. Very, very cool. So that, (laughs) but those are the kind of markers we're talking about, right? Like points leader, goals leader, heart trophy, Lindsay, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think Hughes, top five in points. And then the team obviously went to the Stanley Cup final, 12th in heart voting. It's a pretty good year. 12th in heart voting. Heart voting, you always have to, like, you know I feel what? like it we've was, only learned was, how to vote on awards in the last, like, 15 years. Totally. Also, you know what I mean? There's some wonky results across sports if you go back into the archives in the 80s and 90s. Also, it was the early 90s. You know, like, a goal-scoring winger in the early 90s. Although the heart was won by a Russian player in Sergei Fedorov that year. So, there you go. Strange. Yeah. Look, there were some weird, there were some weird results. No, I mean, look, you can never argue with Sergei Fedorov. <laughs> 24-year-old Sergey Fedorov having a 120-point season. Pretty good. Uh, that's okay. Uh, Dakes and Comox, and he's on this uh, the team quality argument here. He says, boys, let's look at the team Makar came to and the uh, and the team Hughes came in on. And there's is there any wonder why Hughes has less accolades? Put Hughes on the avalanche, and I think he would have very similar numbers. And I think that's fair, right? Yeah, and no, look, not, you I don't think the goal scoring, though. No, that's fair. But like, I think Makar in terms came of in... the regard. But the thing is, you can't hypothetically award Hughes the con Smythe. No. You know what I mean? You can say, like, hey, he would have been in a great position to thrive like McCarr did. That's true, but McCarr did it. He won the con Smythe. <laughs> also, also, like, you know, it's it's worth noting a few things, right? One is in terms of traditional hockey skating, right? In um straight line speed, mm-hmm. right? McCarr is faster than Quinn Hughes. Right? Quinn Hughes is more slippery. Quinn Hughes' edges are some of the best I've ever seen. But Kale McCarr's straight line speed, you know, he's one of the, what, three or four fastest players mm-hmm. on the planet? Like, he's one of the few guys who can look like, not quite Connor McDavid, but like the next level down, rushing the puck. Plus, he throws big hits. Plus, from the moment he came into the NHL, he was the best finisher from the point that anyone's seen in 20 years. Like, honestly, you probably... Shea Weber, maybe? Like yeah. Shea Weber the and then and then Cal McCarr. Yeah. So, you know, those attributes set him apart from Hughes and have made him the best defenseman on the planet. And now, he was in a position. He was in a position to be in the spotlight. Yeah. And I think, you. I mean, you could put Quinn Hughes on the Avs, but I still think he would have come into the league and because his play style is a little bit different, Right, because his method of exerting control over the game mm-hmm. is a little bit more subtle, because he wouldn't have had that shot off the hop. Right, he might have had a similar impact, but he also would have faced similar questions to those that he's had to answer in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Right, I think what's so incredible about what we're seeing here, what's so like ineffable, almost hard to put your 
finger on is like the brain power that Hughes has put into doing this. Yeah. The thinking man's game that allows him to exert this much influence over the proceedings, the way that he just spent a summer, like maybe in a lab, just shooting endlessly. Like, I don't really know the story yet. Uh, we I'm, are. You got to get on that. We got to. We got to get the, oh, the Quinn I, Hughes shooting story. Oh, I've been on it. <laughs> there's. There's. Yeah, uh, I'll. I'll tell you off air, but uh, put put it this way. Right. I'm, I'm I'm working that one. Anyway, there's like um, a willfulness that Hughes has shown in in doing this that I think is pretty distinct, especially given you know some of the pronounced limitations that caused him to slip down the draft order on and mm. on and makes it all the more impressive and all the more satisfying to see him just completely dominate like last night oh my goodness just being like enough of this yeah and just completely you know uh, philip Peronic beaver tailing at the point he just ignores his partner goes to exactly a spot where he knows he can score picks the corner the moment blackwood drops into that reverse v8 a little too early like just brilliant brilliant individual stuff from the canucks captain more Canucks talk coming up here. Vancouver Warriors lacrosse. Don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as $25 at tickets.vancouverwarriors.com. The Canucks were back on the practice ice today. We'll get you an update uh, and look ahead to the three-game road trip beginning in Colorado tomorrow for the Canucks. That's coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Thomas Dredge. You're just going to do this every every time we come back now. No, I'm trying to think of what this rights-free jingle Music reminds is you of? Remin- reminiscent of. Can we reverse engineer it? Yeah, I don't know. I almost it's want like to kind of tropical. Yeah, I almost want to say it's like a little bit like 311. Maybe. Sure, sure. I can see that. Yeah, I see where where Ben's coming from. Like almost like um like Madonna is La Bonita kind of thing here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Got that kind of that uh I'm thinking sandals advertisement. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I like that. I, I see where you're going. That kind of light tropical poppy vibe for sure. That <laughs> type that in and see what comes up. That commercial that comes on and makes everyone feel both lonely and cold in the winter. That's right. That's right. Um, a tough combo. It is. <laughs> That's good marketing. <laughs> well, yeah, they're like, are you're you? Lo- you're lonely and cold. Solve it by buying our product. <laughs> yeah, that's I, how marketing works. It's genius, actually. Yeah. Hey, marketing, the lifeblood of our industry. So. You're lonely and cold. Listen to Canucks talk. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's our pitch. Um, <laughs> we are live from the Kid Tech Studio. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So, okay, this is not strictly uh, related to Canucks talk here, but a couple people have actually texted in about it. Uh, you might have seen this if you're on social media, a little bit of controversy in the NHL media world. Uh, Rager Texan, I-, I don't know if you guys were planning on getting into it, but what is Drance's take on what happened with Mark Spector, of course, our Sportsnet.ca qual- colleague, uh, the question he asked Connor McDavid, and the things that were leaked with Tim Peel. Of course, that's former NHL referee Tim Peel, who's now 
I guess he's a media member, but just kind of gadfly on Twitter. <laughs> NHL gadfly on Twitter. Tim Peel is how I would describe it. So gadfly on Twitter. That's, yeah, am no. I wrong? Yeah. He's got a Twitter feed. <laughs> he drops some hot takes from time to time. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I just have the offspring in my head now. I'm like gadfly for an ex-NHL official. <laughs> um, Spectre asks McDavid... After the most recent loss. Yeah, and it was a question that was like, would you rather win 4-1 or 7-5? Yeah. What's the right answer, by the way? Oh, I'd just rather win. Anyway. Does any- not matter. Yeah. Get those two points. <laughs> it does not matter. I actually love to think about this, and I say it a lot. I say it a lot. I'd say, what, maybe four times a year? I, I make the comment that hockey's not a game of raw numbers. Mm-hmm. It's cool if you score six, but not if you allow seven. Yeah. Right? Um, hockey's game of ratios. Yes. Like hockey is a game in which the goal is to outscore your opponent. Hockey is a game in which the number one thing I prize in evaluating teams isn't which team's the least likely to surrender goal, a goal or which team's the most likely to score a goal. It's which team is most likely to create an environment where they get the next goal. That is team quality. Like that fundamentally is what you want in evaluating a team. So, look, Spectre asks this question, and man, have I been in Spectre's shoes in mid-November an awful lot with a room that doesn't want to talk, a season that's going off the rails, right? Um, An endless fuel of controversy every day, coaching changes, trade speculation, the whole nine, right? It's tough. Like, if you go to The Athletic right now, you'll read, I went up, I went up to JT Miller in Toronto, and I was just like, it's quiet around you this year. Go. Mm. He gave me some really frank, honest assessments of how he views the perception around him, how having an NMC has changed things for his family, um, you know, how he, you know, felt like he was defined by a few bad moments last season. And he doesn't actually think a lot has changed for him beyond the team's circumstances. He even loops in Edmonton and then sort of apologizes for looping them in, noting how when a team's going through that, players do uncharacteristic stuff and it all gets magnified and blown out of proportion. Well, and everything, everything around a team is way tougher when you're losing and way easier and more fun when you're winning. And that extends to the media covering the team. No kidding, right? Like, Like... you know, you, you go into the room yesterday and you're like joking about the Royals with players and they're, you know, oh, I don't even know who the guy is. And everyone's laughing like it, it's a totally different vibe, you know. So you go into that room and sometimes it helps. Like sometimes, you know, if you go watch the Canucks scrums, they post them on, on Canucks uh, Twitter after the loss to Seattle the other day. Mm-hmm. Every scrum I was in. I asked the same question of a player just because I thought it was like an interesting way of politely poking at what, how do you move forward from losing consecutive games? And the, and the question effectively was, you know, it's been a month for your team between losing consecutive games. How do you apply the run you went on after the Tampa Bay loss um, going forward from this? Right. It's not, is that an A plus question? No. No, it's not. You know what it is? It's a polite way of saying how do you move forward mm-hmm. that also lets guys 
talk about what they did wrong and why they're still confident. And that's that's all you want. You're just looking for some copy. You're just looking for a soundbite. You're looking to do your job. You're I would say at, that's a workmanlike question. It's a workmanlike question. You know what that's I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. And it's, I say that with absolute respect. Like no one that's no. not going to be like in your in your on your reel. You know what I mean? No. But it's like that's the building block of doing a beat writer's job. Totally. Those sorts of questions. Well, and and you know Got a pretty good response from Quinn with it. Got a pretty good response from JT Miller with it. Got a pretty good response from Ian Cole with it. Like, you know, it's not about me. It's not about the question. It's about the response. It's about provoking a response that tries to, you know, because you want to build relationships and trust with players. But fundamentally, in inspector's job or in my job, you're serving fans. You're trying to get any nugget of interesting real conversation, any, any interesting detail about the team's dynamic, any player's perspective on a play that occurred within the game that helps fans the people who care about this game better understand and 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 root for their team right um the old jerry seinfeld seinfeld bit right Mm. which is it's not enough for me to go to the game right i then want to read about the game that night and in the morning i want to open the paper because this was a 20 year old stand-up bit and i want to look at the score and be like huh it didn't change (laughs) right like that's the that's the point. Like, it doesn't stop when the game ends. And that's what you're serving, right? You're serving that time between the whistles, effectively, in this job. You're going to ask a 1,000 questions or 1,500 questions a year in the in these jobs. You're going to ask them to surly players. You're going to ask them to elated players, right? You're going to have moments that really matter. You're going to have moments that really don't. You're going to have questions on camera. You're going to have questions off camera. And you know what? You are going to duff some. Oh boy, are you going to duff some? Mm-hmm. Like you are going to have some questions that do not work. You are going to stumble. You're going to lose your train of thought. You're going to dr- drone on too long. You're going to interrupt a player at the wrong time, right? Um, I try to. I try. I literally try to interrupt players sometimes and like laugh. You know what I mean? Or or just like turn them in. Yeah. You you screw it up sometimes. Like you, it's such a high volume activity. I just don't understand why there's outrage about a Spectre question that I thought was like fundamentally workmanlike and a McDavid response that really wasn't rude. Like, yeah, it didn't seem like like we've seen reporters and players, coaches get into it and like spar back and forth. It didn't really seem like that to me. And the thing that surprised people defending McDavid off a question that he was totally fine to handle. The thing that surprised me, and you can say like, ah, I think that's kind of a goofy question or whatever. That's fine, right? Like, I, I don't have a problem with that. What I found surprising about the reaction was the whole like, oh, like here goes the Edmonton media. They're like, they're at it again. They're undermining the team. It's like, I don't know. Like it wasn't like it wasn't a pointed like, hey, why are you guys playing like bums right now? You know what I mean? No. It wasn't like it wasn't this loaded question, this loaded negative question, I didn't think. And that that's what surprised me. And then the other part of this was Tim Peel. Uh, I guess DMing Mark Spector about it and kind of along those lines yeah. of like well, get ripping him or whatever, and then publishing those DMs of him and Spector arguing, which is don't do that. No, I don't. I don't like that. But I mean, yeah, I, I think it's very important if you're having a private correspondence. <laughs> if you're having a private correspondence, in my mind, that's not for public consumption. Like yeah. Twitter is a device that allows you to have public conversation if you want. And if it's not taking place on a private forum or in a public forum, keep it private. That's that's my opinion. I, I think that's just like basic respect. Uh, but, you know, to me, that's neither here nor there. It's the reaction to Spectre's question. I just don't understand the outrage. Um, 
I think I think it's one of the hazards of the job that you're going to have some questions that look silly. Yeah. And I think the way that people react to that sometimes is a little over the top. I, I mean, it's just fundamentally sort of how it works. I also just think the whole, a, like... A question, like a goofy question is not judged based off of what it sounds like on camera. It's judged off the response that it gets. Mm. You know, I, I've asked some loser questions that get great responses. I've asked some winning questions that players don't want to answer. Like, that's, you know, the the subject being like, you you like that question. You've asked it to me before. And then actually talking about how defense is still their, the team's primary interest. You know, I, I think there's actual insight there. Is it a world-class response? Is it is McDavid's response to that question leading columns? Probably not. But I don't think it's a throwaway question. I don't think it's an unfair question. I don't think it was an irrelevant question. Um yeah, I just I have zero problem with the question that was asked. And the other thing for me is, you know, as as uh, this the whole thing about like all oh, the team the team is getting screwed over by the media and the media is like hurting the team. I think if you look at the trajectories of Edmonton and Vancouver over the past several seasons, like Vancouver playing really 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 well right now. <laughs> the media didn't change. Still same media. They didn't change. Even even the tone of the coverage is like still pretty similar to be totally honest with you and similarly in Edmonton no big overhaul of the media between last year when they were you know dominant after Matthias Matthias Ackholm arrived at the trade deadline to now when they you know can't win a game to save their lives like the media ultimately follows what the team is doing right now the separate conversation is are some player do some players not want to stay in Canadian markets because of the intensity of the coverage and I think that's a fair conversation but the idea that in season the coverage is preventing a team from playing well or that they would only be playing better if there was more positive coverage. Again, like you look at how the Canucks are doing this year, how the Oilers are doing this year. It's just that's, that's it, what, the, the causation there is completely off. Yeah. It's completely opposite. Well, and it's like anything else, right? It's like there's players that want to play in warm weather. There's players that only want to win at all costs. There's players that want to duck high tax rates. There's players that want to live anonymously in, in a non-hockey market like individuals make the decisions they make for all sorts of complicated reasons you know um is it a factor you have to account for the 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 way that players are scrutinized here for sure but is it also an edge with some players i mean we were having this conversation two weeks ago about elliot friedman's reporting on elias petterson mm. and how much he cares about the passion of uh the vancouver market how much you know playing in a place where hockey matters this much Means something I think again, him. you're seeing the good side of it in Vancouver this year, yeah. right? Like, how much fun are those guys having playing oh. at home? When right? You're, when and you're you... winning in this market, it's the best. Yeah, like, and so that's that's always been the like. Listen, I can I can understand why it can be a drawback, but there's also the potential if you get off to a good start. There's a potential for it to be a major, major positive for you, and we're seeing that side of things too right now, where it's the guys point. are buying in and the guys are having a ton of fun, and you're you're seeing a totally different team at home than on the road too. Like, there's a seems to be an energy that's creating something of a feedback loop for the club, they're they're playing way better on home ice than they have on the road. Yeah. So now travel also is a huge part of that, but um, nonetheless. Uh, speaking of, so that's, uh, that's a, a thought on, but basically my thing is like, I don't need to spring to the defense of Spectre. Like he's been a great guest on our show. And like, you know, I have a lot, of, I have a lot of respect for him as a, as a colleague at Sportsnet, but I was just so baffled by the, like, how dare he, how dare he no, react? I was the, like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't get that. The, at all. the, the, the 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 bad question thing like that's a bad question 
is is a pet peeve of mine just because I like I've asked bad questions. I promise you. There are questions that I've asked where I'll like listen back on the recorder and I'll be like I left Oof. money on the table. Mm. You know, like I really need to do like I spend a lot of time thinking about it. But there's also a lot of times where someone will be killing me for a bad question and it's like they just didn't like that I asked a relatively tough question of a player they like. You know what I mean or like something innocuous or or, or a video's cut to make you look silly. You know, and, and it strips out the context. Um, that happened to me with Boudreaux, where, where I had, like, a laugh that you couldn't tell that he'd, like, made three jokes in a row. Yeah. Right? So then, like, I got stuck awkwardly. That that's the that sort of stuff I, I do genuinely get a little defensive of when I see other media members get crushed for it. Uh, just because, look, asking questions is hard. It, it, it's not an easy skill. Um, Spectre is actually really good at it. Relative to most in the media. And by the way, somebody texted in. Uh, I just want to clear this up. Isn't Spectre the guy who asked Dreisaitl why he was so pissy last year? No, that was Jim Matheson. <laughs> so there's been there's been some flashpoints between the Edmonton Oilers and their media recently. No, and I mean, you know, there was also the one with Daniel Nugent Bowman, also a, a athletic colleague of mine and, and a guest on this show on occasion, right? And, you know, he asked him, like, you know, and everyone's not scoring. A, Leon? And he's like, yeah, good observation. Correct. And clapped. And it's just like, okay, like, this is what happens. Yeah, this is what happens when, because it's, you know, things that would be a joke, right? Like, if, if if somebody asks kind of an obvious silly question like that when the team's winning, everyone probably laughs, right? But you do it when you're losing, and it's like, oh, you know, you know what I mean? It becomes a source point, it becomes a misunderstanding, and it kind of grows from there. Go watch the end of the JT Miller scrum posted to Canucks Twitter from last night where he's finally asked about the Royals and his reaction and the laughs. Yeah. And the difference in vibe. And then imagine what it would have been like if Leon Dreisaitl was asked that question, you know, after another Oilers loss. Yeah. Right? It's, I mean, it's just, it couldn't be more different. And and again, I, I urge you to go uh, check out my column at The Athletic. we got a Black Friday sale on. I'm going to get my plugs there in There you now. go. Um, but, you know, Miller explicitly is like, just look at Edmonton. Look at us. Like, yeah. it's, this is how it works. Uh, okay. Okay. Back on to the Canucks uh, specifically, as you were mentioning, they've played so well at home. Now they go on the road for a three-game road trip beginning tomorrow in Colorado. Then you've got Seattle on Friday, San Jose on Saturday. So just a three-game road trip here. Three-point game, cracking in flames. That's true. Although, man, the gap in the standings that has opened up in the Pacific is pretty extreme. Because L.A. is still crushing it. Vegas, I know, has dropped off a little bit, but they're still in first place. Best points percentage. So you have Vegas, L.A., and the Canucks all over a 700 points percentage. Nobody else over 500. The Ducks are at 500 because they've slid down. Kraken are below 500. Calgary below 500. And then, obviously, the Oilers and then the Sharks. Like, that, the the middle tier has collapsed in the Pacific Division. But, yes, you're right. Three-point game between the Kraken and the Flames. I'm really excited for the Colorado game. Just as, you know, as we start to, one, gather more data about this team and get closer to that 30-game mark. And, you know, now we get to see them against a team that I think is – fairly regarded as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, has had a very, very weird season. <laughs> a very weird season. But these 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 teams have played some really good games in the past, and I think this is going to be a great measuring stick. Beyond the Hughes-McCarr uh, feature battle, which is great, that's that's going to be super fun, but just the chance for the storyline. It is the story. That's top billing. 
But the matchup of the teams and the Canucks kind of, you know, hey, they played that game against Dallas. They played really well, got the 2 nothing shutout. Now you're going on the road against a team that's a top team in the Western Conference with Stanley Cup uh, history. It, it, th- these are the types of games that become really, really important as the Canucks try to prove to everyone that, you know, they're going to stick around at this level in the standings this year. Yeah, and I mean, look, the Canucks have played among top 10 teams in the league. And let's excuse the Canucks from consideration because they can't play themselves, right? They've played New York, who are fourth, and they lost in overtime. Mm -hmm. They've played Dallas and won. They've played Florida and won. They've played Toronto and lost. They've played Tampa Bay and lost. So they've only played five of the top ten teams in the league. And they're what? Two, two, and one. Mm -hmm. Or no, no. Two and three. Two, three, and oh. Against those teams. So, you know. 2-2-1 two, two because they had an OT loss against the Rangers. Against the Rangers. 2-2-1. Yeah. Two, two so, 500, right? Which is good, by the way. That's no no shame in that when you slice it in, no, in an arbitrary way that only picks the Canucks' <laughs> best opponents. Yeah. Like, that's totally fine. Especially because it's only a five-game sample. Especially because they played well in most of those games. You know, Tampa would be the one that sort of stands out. I guess Toronto, they didn't play that well. No. So, two, two games, yeah. The rest of them you like. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how they measure up against this Avs team. Uh, Kraken, we we saw that matchup, but that's also an interesting bounce-back spot. And here's the other thing. Like, if you go look at Dom's model, mm-hmm. okay, the Oilers, he's now projecting at 93 points, which is wild, right? They have to... They have to win at a 106-point pace to get to 95. So we now live in a world where, like, overwhelming probability is the Canucks will finish ahead of the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. Unthinkable six weeks ago. Like, would have been laughed out of the room for saying it. But we're, six weeks later, almost assured. And yet, Dom's model still gives them a 22% chance of finishing in the top three in the Pacific, right? Um, his model still gives the Flames a 19% chance of finishing in the top three in the Pacific. It still gives the Kraken a, a 5% chance of finishing in the top three in the Pacific. So, three-point game in, in Kraken Calgary, they might be under 500 now, but I would imagine one of those three teams streaks at some point so that you're, like, scoreboard-watching. Canucks fans are scoreboard-watching in some kind of meaningful way. Yeah. that, that I would just say... I would expect one of those three teams at least to get hot enough to to be interesting down the stretch. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I just yeah. wonder if it's more interesting in the wild card race than it is top three in the Pacific. Not that it can't happen with yeah. the Pacific, but again, the gap... Look, it's still so early. They're not completely out of it. It's just... If you get to if the gap doesn't close much between now and you know Christmas, let's say, then it starts to become like wow, they're really they're really getting locked into a top three position. They're not there yet. I'm not saying they're there yet. Twenty seven points in nineteen games gives the Canucks like so much wiggle room, so much margin for error. But we're still talking about a team with a hundred and four point eight PDO, right? Like we're still mm-hmm. talking about a team that has some room, you know, to has some room to like chill some some room where <laughs> no seriously some room where things are going to start to go against them a little bit i mean if we go to even the last like we, frankly we've seen it like if we go to the last seven games the canucks have played right um 
they have eight points, which is a 571 point percentage, inflated because they got to play the Sharks. Yeah. Right? And, you know, for, for the for the PDO doesn't matter types, 989 PDO. Like, we're seeing it. You know, this is a 7.7% 7, 7. shooting clip, 911, 5-on-5. Five five. Like, we, we've seen it for two and, two and a half weeks now. We've seen what this looks like if the team doesn't have the wind at their back. And, and guess what it looks like? Minus two goal differential, five on five, even with a game in the sh- against the Sharks thrown in. Yeah, but it also looks like a 571 points percentage, right? So if that's yeah. your slowing down, you know what I mean? Sure. You don't have the wind at your backs. It's even a little below the the kind of 100 break-even mark. Yeah, I mean, And I'm not saying that, like, that's as low as they, you know, that's they can't have a worse stretch than that or anything, but... The wheels haven't fallen off. No, you know what definitely I mean? not. That, like it's not like, uh oh, we're in trouble now. It's just like, yeah, it's not. You're not putting up. You're not winning every game <laughs> like they were for a while there. Uh, of for sure, and and I, it's it's actually an important point because if you're able to, tr- you know, tread water at five fifty point percentage when when with a nine eight nine PDO. Yeah. That's like good. That's yeah, actually a like, sign okay, that things that's fine. are working. Yeah, that's not so bad. Hundred percent. That's that's a good point. But also, you know, um, you know, if you sustain that sort of pace from here to the rest for the rest of the season, um, you know, you end up with seventy one more points. You f- fall short of a hundred. Yeah, from the point that the Canucks are at, right? So it's like. You open the door for those teams you open the in door. the Pacific, the other teams in the Pacific. That's, for sure. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, that, and I think that's fair. It's just a question of... But yeah, this stretch Can they settle in at slightly higher than that? This stretch won't kill you, but it does sort of, I think, magnify the importance of this road trip, right? I mean, this isn't easy. This Especially is th- Seattle. You don't want to drop two, two in a row and give them four points. This is a three and four, okay? This is a three and four. At elevation against an elite Colorado Avalanche team, right? In Seattle... Against a team that just beat the Canucks and and did so somewhat soundly, right? Like, we're the better team by a fair margin uh, on Saturday night. And then this Sharks game that should be easy, except it's the second leg of a back-to-back um, and the culmination of a 3-4 and four with, with all the games on the road across multiple time zones. I, you know, that that's tough, man. And And I don't think you'll be able to fly into San Jose. Like, they won't be able to fly into San Jose that night. Because San Jose's got that airport weird. rules, right? So they're going to have to fly into SFO and bus. Like, that's a long travel night to then face the Sharks on um on that Sunday night. This is a tough road trip. And, wh- I mean, what? If you pick up two points on this trip, right? Just say you just get two points. Then we're looking at a stretch where we'll say, hey, over the Canucks' last 10 games, they've got 10 points, and that becomes a divot. So... The Canucks have spotted themselves a really nice lead, but there is business still to attend to. Uh, and they will uh, they will try to take care of some of that business tomorrow night against the Avalanche. We will check in with one of our favorites, Ryan Clark of ESPN, up next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the more. What is that? 
So Drance went into how Kale McCarr is like the nitrous of the engine. <laughs> yeah, so you played Vin Diesel. Dominic Toretto. Yeah. I love so it. You're, and you're bald. That was in the first segment, though. <laughs> and you're bald. And you're bald. You're our Vin Diesel. Wow. Uh, so we just got some pl- some pushback on it on Twitter or some, some, some play. So uh, it's, it's all about family. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for the company barbecue after the show. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, guys. I just need to go drive a safe behind me across a Brazilian bridge and use it to crush an entire escort of security personnel. Hey, that safe is Thatcher Demko. <laughs> what? All right. <laughs> I wouldn't drive. Okie dokie. I wouldn't drag him behind my car. Behind my car? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, it is way too fun to watch. It is Canucks Talk. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here. Brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online Show's at dlaamt.com. Eh? We're doing a great job. We're, we're going fast and furious. <laughs> Today at Connect We are Talk. absolutely crushing it. <laughs> we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Hold on. JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit JanPro.ca. We've got our good friend Ryan Clark on the line. Uh, momentarily. Momentarily. Not yet. Would he be the Luke Hobbs of our program? Sure. Are you are think. you not a big Fast and no, Furious I, guy? Like I know a little bit, but I'm not like a massive fan. So Luke Hobbs is the Rock's yeah, yeah, character. Yeah, the Rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and they're like frenemies. You know, but when they come together, it's really powerful. I think that's a good analogy. I feel like if I'm Dom, I feel like he's. I feel like that's more like Spec that they're frenemies. <laughs> are you a frenemy with Ryan? Ryan, likes I thought to... you were just friends. Well, we are, but Ryan likes Ryan goes harder at me than Spec does. Yeah, that's fair. Spec even like comes on the show now and is like, "You should start two goalies in the playoffs." That's true. That's true. <laughs> You've won Spec over. I know. You still have work to do on. Uh, on Ryan as uh, as we await to get our guy Ryan Clark from ESPN on the line here. will join us uh, momentarily. Lots to get into with the Canucks and some interesting situations around the league as well. Well, let's let, uh, there's some injury recap news, right, from yep. practice. Do you want to quickly yes. do that? Uh, so a couple people have been texting and asking about Pew Suter and the quote I just saw from uh, courtesy of our own Brendan Batchelor, which is that Pew Suter will not travel on this road trip per Rick Tockett. He's still being evaluated daily for an undisclosed injury. So that is uh, that is the latest on Pew Suter. So that'll be an extended absence at this point because that's three games he won't be available for. And look, the Canucks haven't really missed a beat too much in terms of their bottom six excelling. Teddy Bluger has stepped in, Sam Lafty playing center on the fourth line. But Pew Suter, tough for him because he really was, it felt like hitting his stride uh, before he had to come out of the, uh, of the lineup. Pew Suter, really good. Yes, that's true. Pew Suter is good. I I I think they've missed him. I think they've missed him a fair bit, especially because well, the bottom six has been so the, crucial to. But what the bottom six has been good, even without even with him out of the lineup. It has. Been, like I agree that they miss him. There's less dynamism there. Like the, there's there's less offensive danger. Yeah. when they're on the ice without Pews. Uh, okay, we can get into that, and we'll hear from Rick Tockett later on in the show as well. But right now, we are very pleased uh, to be joined from ESPN by Ryan Clark. And Ryan, uh, Drance just introduced you as a frenemy of his. I thought you guys were just friends. I didn't realize there was such an enemy component as well. Enemy. Well, uh, let's hear this. <laughs> no, no, no. Our, our, to clarify, 
our uh, our producers said that I was like the show's Dominic Toretto, and I then said, if I'm Dominic Toretto, you're the the Luke Hobbs of Canucks talk. Like sometimes we we fight, at least in public, because you make fun of me a lot, and then and then when we come together, it's award winning, magical. <laughs> uh, okay, so one, I I guess that's kind of accurate, and two, I mean. <laughs> Given what you just said, you invite the fun being made of. God bless you. I love you. But, I mean, look, there's a saying we have. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's trying to win the Pac-12 North. This so, I don't know what else to tell you. Are, you. are you in on the Huskies right now, by the way? Well, for having that conversation, every time you turn around, they keep winning. Um, of course, there's that stretch post-Oregon where there were some games where you kind of wondered if they were going to pull it off. But right now, you would think they they have to be one of the favorites, them, whoever cancels each other out between Ohio State and, and, and Michigan. Georgia looks dangerous. Alabama's looked threatening. FSU is really fascinating now that mm. Jordan Travis is injured. But I am pretty sure this is what everyone in Vancouver was waiting to hear. <laughs> Well, once once you brought up the Pac-12, I had college to ask. football report here on here on Canucks talk. I, I I just know I just know Ryan after after covering the game on Friday in Seattle, I'm gonna be like really hard pressed to come straight home versus watching uh, Washington State versus Washington. Like I'm really gonna want to go. So I just it's on my mind. So we'll say this before we get going. So the Apple Cup is something I was fortunate enough to cover. I covered the Washington Huskies for six months. And it is a fascinating rivalry game. Mm. It's one of those things where just so the year I covered it, it was like a mix of sleet and snow. Like everybody was really into it. Like Washington state had like this high powered offense and Washington only came away with a victory, but it was a victory that allowed them uh, to seal their place in a college football playoff game, the Fiesta Bowl against Penn state. But it's such an interesting game because like, the thing about it is, like, Wazoo fans are really passionate. Washington fans are really loud. You put them together in an environment like Husky Stadium where the sound there just it, – it's amplified. Like, it's a fun, fascinating, just good time to experience. So, like, if you can go do it, do it. And I know they – I believe they said they're extending the series, but uh, I also feel like the last time it's a Pac-12 game will have a little extra juice to it as well uh, at this one. Um, on to the Canucks, and they've got a big game of their own tomorrow against the Colorado Avalanche. And, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement here to now that the Canucks are playing like they are and they've had such a successful start to the season to see how they match up against a an established, really really good team in the avalanche from your perspective, Ryan, what are, what do you need to see to be convinced that the Canucks are, I I don't want to necessarily say a a Stanley cup contender, but you know, a legitimate top five, top four team in the Western conference. Having a sense of consistency to what they do. So this is something that we were asking with the Dallas stars last year. Because you think about where they were this time a year ago, the Dallas stars were a team that had just lost to the flames in the first round. And the conversation around them was, can they get the consistent offensive uh, sort of just can they can score can they score and generate consistent offensive chances to give Jake Ottinger a fighting shot of winning games because that was the conversation in that Flames series and something that we saw throughout the year from the Dallas Stars was this was a team that could consistently score that they don't need Jake Ottinger to win every game you saw Miro Heiskanen go from someone that look people 
could recognize and appreciate his defensive side, but in this era where we see puck-moving defensemen sort of dominate that conversation, I think he was someone who kind of maybe didn't get mentioned, but he has a career year in points. You see rookies like Wyatt Johnston really play a role. You see Joe Pavelski do things. Jamie Benn have a bit of a resurgence. And now all of a sudden when you look at the Dallas Stars, there's no question that this is a team that is a is a cup contender. You saw what they do throughout a whole season, but also you saw what they did in the playoffs where, yes, while they went down 3 nothing and the conference final, they did push it to a game six before Vegas ultimately won. And it seems like with the Canucks, it's a team that's sort of in a similar situation where we've talked about it a lot just on this show in particular. You can see the individual talent. You can see where you can kind of get the vision of it, but it's just sort of a matter of can you find the cohesion and now that you're seeing and finding the cohesion with the Canucks, like what it's turned into is it's turned into a team that has been dangerous in so many different levels. Like we're definitely going to get into Quinn Hughes, but we think about the year JT Miller's having, Elias Pedersen is having, Brock Besser is having when, look, it wasn't that long ago where people wondered, was Brock Besser no longer going to be a Vancouver Canuck? The Philip Ronick move, which when that trade happened, there were plenty of people, us on this show included, yep. who raised questions about it because – you parted with the first rounder that you got in the Bo Horvat trade. You took on cap space at a time when your books were, they were complicated to, to put it mildly. And what you've since seen is a partnership with him and Quinn Hughes that has not only been one of the best partnerships the Canucks have seen in recent memory, but it's been a partnership that's been one of the best through the first 19 or so games in the NHL. But then when you also look at what the Canucks are able to do, like, they're able to find ways to work around the Carson Soucy injury. And then above all, when you look at the goaltending, which, again, hasn't always been the case, when you look at last season, Thatcher Dimko has won nine games with the goals against the 2-1-2 and a save percentage of 9-2-9. Casey DeSmith has won four games with a save percentage of 9-1-7. If you can consistently get that from everyone involved through all 82 games and at least through the second round of the playoffs, it seems like – that conversation about cup contender is a fair one. Ryan, we got our first view of the Kraken, and I think we saw Matty Beniers play his best game of the season uh, live in Vancouver on Saturday night. Two teams will play again on Friday. Um, and really, this is the perfect show because we can talk Colorado. We can talk Seattle. But I, I just want to ask about Beniers in particular. Um, are you seeing him begin to turn a corner? And, and what's sort of the mood around the Kraken at the moment? So you can see that he's beginning to turn a corner, but really the overall mood around the Kraken right now is how do you find ways to consistently win games? And also if you go into overtime, how do you find ways to win them? Because that's become a theme with this team as we've seen this season. And so like, okay, right now you look at where they are in the standings and yes, they're in a wild card spot, but at the same time, they've had five overtime losses and they're two games, they played more than two games. They played two games more, excuse me, than the Ducks have a one-point differential. Like, at some point, those overtime losses, like, while, yes, they're points, they've got to turn in the wins or else it's going to be really, really, really complicated for them to be able to find some footing to not only, I guess you could say, be strong in the wild card race but also get into that Pacific Division conversation. But in terms of what you're seeing with Matty Beniers, yes, there's definitely been uh, a bit more consistency on the goal-scoring front, especially after he went from – scoring zero goals to not having three. But right now the conversation with the Kraken is how do you just find consistency overall, especially in late game situations? 
And big topic of conversation in Vancouver, Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, the big grudge match coming up on Wednesday. Is that a conversation anyone should take seriously in, in terms of like Quinn Hughes currently is the Norris Trophy favorite, but McCarr obviously has the career accolades, the Conn Smythe, the Stanley Cup, the Calder. Um, I, I don't think it's a conversation about who's the best defenseman, but um, can Quinn Hughes make it? a more interesting conversation over the balance of this year. In some ways, the conversation's already interesting because mm. let's go back to what we just talked about with puck moving defensemen. Quinn Hughes is part of this group of puck moving defensemen, whether it's him, Kale McCarr, Adam Fox. We saw again, shades of it from Mira Heiskanen. We're seeing this new group uh, with, with guys like Kabul Minchukov with, with Luke Hughes. Uh, as well, like this is the way this league is heading. You could argue it's already there and it's been there with guys like Werwinski and, and McAvoy. And essentially what you're seeing from Quinn Hughes this season is it's the culmination of the potential that's been there. Because you think about the narrative around Quinn Hughes when he first came into the league and it was someone who could definitely move the puck and generate offense, but it was sort of like, can he be that complete defenseman? And it's something that you really started seeing last year when Rick Tockett came in and now what everyone is seeing with Quinn Hughes is what everyone is seeing with the Canucks as a whole, which is you're seeing it all come together. But with Quinn Hughes and the Canucks, you're just seeing it come together in a way that maybe you're not surprised that they're finding success, but you're surprised at maybe the ease in which they're doing it, or even if it hasn't been easy, the way that they've been able to make it look easy. And so this conversation about Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, how did they compare, where do they rank, it's going to be there because when you're among the lead at your position, which those two are, there's always going to be that compare and contrast conversation, especially when you look at the premium that's being placed on these young puck-moving defensemen. Like, there is a reason teams look for players like this. It's because they can do so much. They can control so much. And you're talking about two defensemen who can control play, whether it's pace of play, what an opposition can do, what they can do on a power play, what they can do at even strength. Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes are two examples of players who are among the best in the league at doing it. Hey, Ryan, uh, also in the Pacific Division, one team that's playing really great hockey right now is the LA Kings. And one of the most impressive stats in the league, they're 8-0-0, a perfect 8-0 on the road right now. Are the Kings, have the Kings put themselves in that legit Stanley Cup contender tier already this season? So it's, it's, it's interesting because we had this conversation, believe what, late off season, early preseason. And the feeling with the Kings is yes, but it's really a matter of can you get out of the first round? Now, of course, the question in the last few years was, can they beat the Edmonton yeah. Oilers in the first round? The way things are going, we don't know what's going to happen with the Edmonton Oilers. We, we just don't. But the way the Kings are built, clearly this is a team that is built to try to win a Stanley Cup. But again, it's sort of that, how do you get beyond that hump of the first round? And so kind of coming a little full circle, or I guess semi-circle or Venn diagram, knowing Drance, um, it's really that conversation <laughs> with the Kings of sort of like, what is that aha moment? Like we saw with the Stars last year, their aha moment was getting to the conference final. It was being consistent over 82 games. With the Kings, like they've been building towards this point, but is this the year where they get there and every team goes through it? With Colorado, it was getting past the second round. With Vegas, it was 
getting all the pieces together to be the team they are, which last year was someone that could do everything, and this year we're seeing more of that. With with the Kings, what is that sort of aha moment? Is it getting beyond the first round? And if they do get beyond the first round, like then what is that sort of next benchmark they need to clear? But right now, they appear to be on the projection of a team that you could say at minimum is in that conversation of being a cup contender. Like you could argue the window is open, but in the sense of like, are they that cup contender in the same level of a Vegas, a Colorado, a Dallas? Like that's where it gets a little complicated. Ryan, before we let you go, we're 20 games into the season, approaching the quarter mark of the campaign. Let's, let's update our Pacific division tiers. Give me your tiers, my friend. I like in tears for fears. No kidding. Uh, so right now, number one in the Pacific Division would be the Golden Knights. They they would be, and it, it's tough because them and the Canucks have both been really good. But with the Golden Knights, again, it's the longevity factor. And with the Canucks, that's the big question: is how will this look over full eighty two? In Vegas, we know how it looks over a full eighty two with them winning a Stanley Cup. So you probably right now would go Vegas, Vancouver. The L.A. Kings, for now, we will go with the Ducks, then the Kraken, uh, just because the Ducks have at times looked a little consistent. Of course, we say that knowing that they've lost three in a row. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. But as we just talked about with the Kraken, the Kraken have struggled with, with, with overtime. Then after that, probably the Oilers and then the San Jose Sharks. So, which to think the Oilers would be second right last next to the Sharks. Wow, who, who saw that coming in yeah. October? Well, so, early October. And so, you really don't buy that the Oilers can find a gear here. It's so hard to say because we so, so often talk about that barometer of how Thanksgiving, or I guess in your case, American Thanksgiving trance, or is it Canadian, or like what is Thanksgiving? Drancer calls Drancer calls Thanksgiving like our Thanksgiving. Canadian he calls Thanksgiving. Canadian Thanksgiving, which nobody here does. We just call it Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yeah, but I'm um but, I'm um you know um a, a North American, like a true North American. <laughs> so let's just say American Thanksgiving. Sure. For, all, for everyone out there, but in all seriousness, we will stop being clowns. But for speak for yourself. I didn't agree to stop being a clown. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, but as we seriously <laughs> talk about American Thanksgiving and that line of demarcation, like the Oilers, it's not saying that it can't be done, but how often have we heard the stats that teams that are within three, four, five points of a wild card, not that there's guarantees, but the path is much easier. Whereas if like you're looking at the Oilers with where they stand right now, they are eight points out the Tuesday before Thanksgiving They've lost two in a row. Yes, they have a new coach, but the thing with a team like this is, one, they've got to find ways to start winning on the road, and two, they've got to find ways <clears throat> excuse me, to really find consistency within their defensive structure. So it's not that like it can't be done. It's just they're going to have to answer quite a few questions along the way while also fighting against teams like the Minnesota Wild, which are trying to answer its own questions and make a fifth straight playoff bid. And don't forget the Flames and the Predators, two teams that last year were really close to missing the playoffs. There's the Calgary Flames, which, of course, won here in Seattle last night that they were also close in, in, in that conversation. Well, we are talking about the Flames, excuse me. The Arizona Coyotes are another team that just you don't know what they're going to do. And the same thing with the Ducks. So 
it's not that it can't be done. It's just there's going to be a lot of hills to climb if you're the Edmonton Oilers. Ryan, I really appreciate the time, man. Thanks for doing this as always. Uh, enjoy Thanksgiving this week. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks. You do the same. Yeah. Assuming Drance celebrates Thanksgiving. Who knows what Drance celebrates? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go to the Seahawks well, Niners game. I'll have fun. We, we will be here working. Well, actually, no, you'll be in Seattle, I guess, but I'll be here working yep. on Thursday. Yep. Drance will be in Seattle. I'll also be working. Yes, I'll yes, just, just be in, in Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Cheers, buddy. That is, that is Ryan Clark from ESPN. and uh, With a very Luke Hobbsian performance. Yes. Indeed. I don't have friends. I got family. <laughs> there you go. By the way, we we're just talking about playoff odds and, and everything, and you know, you, you always reference uh, Dom's model, and I was looking at the update today at The Athletic. First of all, extremely favorable. Extremely favorable for the Canucks. Yeah. 94% chance of making the playoffs, 26% chance of winning the division. I know. Which is really impressive. Like a 75% chance or more, 80% chance of finishing the top three in the Pacific. The The number that stood out to me the most was that, and it's it's going to sound very obvious and not funny until I spell it out, I think, but he goes, you know, which team has uh, X percent chance of finishing each place in their division, right? So the Canucks have, you know, 26% chance of finishing first, 28% chance of finishing second, et cetera. San Jose Sharks, 100% chance of finishing in last place. And, of course, you say, like, well, yeah, obviously, they're the Sharks. They're terrible. But the whole idea of a model like this is you're trying to account for, like, okay, but, like, what if the craziest, most out-of-this-world thing that's ever happened in the NHL happens? What would the result of that be in the standings? And it's like, no, still last. <laughs> like, even if you're, like, draw, like, total blue sky, like, the best thing that could possibly happen for the Sharks. It's like, nope, they nope. still finish in last place. <laughs> they still bad. They're still really, really bad. Just a straight, it's the only, you go through the whole thing and look for 100%, and that's, like, the only 100% in the whole thing. You the love, Sharks you finishing love to see it. in last place in the Pacific Division. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, I, I We gave you the update on Pew Suter from Rick Tockett, which is that he will not travel with this team with the team uh, on the three game road trip, so he remains out of the lineup. We got more updates from Rick Tockett when the team practiced earlier today, so we will uh, play that for you and wrap up the show. That's coming up next here. Actually, before before I send us to break, Vancouver Warriors Lacrosse. Don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as twenty five dollars at tickets.vancouverwarriors. Dot com. All right, final segment coming up here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Janpro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe. During this flu season, by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service, visit janpro.ca. We will hear from Rick Tockett momentarily here, but uh, did want to mention Trancer for some reason. We were talking Huskies there a little bit uh, with Ryan Clark. Um, I don't know what to call him, but like one of the... He's not the official offensive coordinator of Canucks Talk because we all disliked his work so strongly, but... 
formerly the offensive coordinator of uh, of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Matt uh, Canada. We fired. should get Gentilly we gotta, on. We do have to have Gentilly on. Yeah, we do. Just to discuss. Just to, to, for, to hear his elation. Canada was blamed in retrospect. And they were 100% right to do it. They were 100%, 100% right to do it. Wheels up for Jalen Warren. We are, First, we are truly celebrating American Thanksgiving this weekend, week, or this episode in particular, by talking like Washington State yeah, football. Yeah, well, I love it. So now, like, if the Huskies are in the college football playoff, we'll get Ryan Clark on, right? And yeah. he's, like, he's our Huskies correspondent, and we've got our Steelers correspondent <laughs> in Pittsburgh and Gentilly. We're just, like, building a web of hockey writers who also know things about other sports. Slowly but surely transitioning away from Canucks. Yeah, we're just going to be coming all <laughs> sports show sorry guys sorry cam we uh, we I, made the decision i want to be clear we are not going we're rebranding no we're not doing um that. but hold on joe's on the matt canada thing first time the steelers had made an in-season coaching change since 1941 41 i know oof and do you know if the last time it was like when it was like the part the last time it was apparently like the part owner of the team was like yeah i'm not gonna coach anymore so like that barely counts you know what I mean? Oh, so it wasn't like a coordinator was like, I'm going to war. <laughs> no, apparently not. Okay. It wasn't like December 16th, 1941. <laughs> Are we sure? I don't think so, but I, I have to go check. Because when I, I saw 1941, yeah. I was like, that's probably like a week after Pearl Harbor, the coordinator was like, I must go fight duty calls. No, what I saw was that it was a half owner of the team who was for some reason because it was the 40s. He was also coaching the team. Yeah, sure. And then he was like, I don't know. I don't know why he quit, but he he decided to stop coaching the team. Got it. So it's not even like he got fired. He just like he fired removed himself. himself. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's a tough one. St- that's a tough one to have your name associated Stability with. Stability is a Matt good Canada. look. Right. Like there's a reason the Steelers are incredible. Uh, it's true. They've won an awful lot of games yeah, uh, in, despite, their, in their history. Despite being awful all despite, season. Despite Matt Canada. Speaking of psyops, the Pittsburgh Steelers. My God. Uh, all right. Just wanted to mention that. Uh, but uh, as promised, Canucks practiced today. They are on the road playing the Avalanche tomorrow. Here is Rick Tockett after practice today. Yeah, I, I don't think he meant any amount. You know, if there was a heat of the moment, he wasn't trying to hurt somebody. I think it was just a... What is it? Two thousand bucks or something? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's usually what happens when those kind of instances. They don't deem it like it was malicious. So, you know, I think Hoggy was heal the moment. What do you need to build off of now that you head out on the road and go to altitude to face the Avalanche tomorrow? Well, I think we played a little bit faster last night. You know, still not to the pace we want to, but I, I think we chipped away at some parts of our game to get it back. And, um, you know, we're going into obviously. One of the best teams' buildings that um, I'm sure they're not too happy after the, their loss the other night. So, you know, high alert, again, another high alert game. Anything in particular about managing your way through a three and four scenario with this particular group of players? Um, well, I, I think it's important, uh, like I keep saying, is play without the puck. I think you can, if you manage that, um, you know, obviously use your bench, but for me, managing the, the, the game without the puck is really important, being in spots. Um, and I, I thought our shift length was a lot better last game, and I think that's going to help us for the next few games. You know, we're in that 30-second, 35-second range. Other than the against Seattle, we were up near 50 seconds. So I think to play the way we want to play, you got to you got to yeah, you got to manage your shift left lengths. And in terms of the timing of changes as well, you were happy with, with that. Yeah, a lot well. better, a lot better. You know, not, not changing. You know, you get that one last gasp, you know, that one last forecheck, and then you change up the ice. You're putting your buddy in a bad position, so now we're changing the proper time. Uh, but you go through that in an A2 game schedule, we, you get loose. Um, but I think it's a big fabric of our team. If we can, you know, I think it's one goal we could be is one of the best change. I know it's funny to some people, but it's not to me. Like one of the best change teams. Why can't we be that? Rick, uh, 
will Suter travel on this trip? He's every day, a day-to-day evaluation, so he won't be on this trip. Okay. Yeah. So you'll start with no extra healthy forwards, or will you bring a body? We might bring one. I still, uh, talk, talk, you know, that's over my head with a cap and all that. i got to yep. talk to Patrick. But, yeah, we'll, uh, you know, obviously we'd like to have an extra, but we'll see how that works out. On opening night against Edmonton, like, there was a fair bit of fanfare. It was a big game, obviously, yeah. and you guys passed that test. The Dallas came in here and, you know, early sort of heavyweight yeah. showdown. Now you go to Colorado. Like, how excited are you to measure your team and and to take on these tests? Well, I just love these 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 are tests. You're going into their building. You know, coming off of, uh, their loss. You know, they're going to be ready to play. Like, these are things you have to pass the test. You know, and I'm not. Yeah, obviously we want results. To me, it's the process. You know, we got to get back to our process um, to go and when you play these type of teams, if you're good away from the puck and if you're changing well and if we're chipping the body and if we're Boxing out. I mean, those are the you know like the staples to to be the team we want to be, and you got to pass these tests. Um, I always say to my you know I don't say to the players rather but the coaches like if we're in a seven game series, you know if we do this, you know is this sustainable? That's the way you look at it, and you build that in October, November. You don't just all of a sudden start in March. It has to start now. Since you healthy scratch Dakota Joshua, he's leading the league in hits. He's also has not been on the ice for a goal against at even strength. What do you think about his bounce back after the health? Well, scratch? you just jinxed him. <laughs> I just no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, he's he's been one of our best forwards when it comes to exits and, and winning wall battles. I mean, that's the we need those type of players, and he's taken that to heart. Um, he's, and I think he's done a nice job with the penalty kill. So, um, yeah, I mean, he'll tell you sometimes. You know, we, listen, I remember playing the game. I needed a wake up call. Uh, and you need it, whether it's from me or another coach or from your teammates. But I love the fact that he took it and he owned it. That's To me, that's character. Does it take physicality for him to be at his best? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I like those type of players because I know, you know, like footy and myself, we, if we weren't in the game, it's usually when we're physical. So I, so I kind of tend to, when I talk to Josh, I know. You know, like I've been there before. So when you play physical, you're going inside, you get in the game. And um you know, he's taking it right now. You talked about Dallas on that high tip and Pavelski, yeah. and then you guys execute one last night and JT cashes it in. How happy are you with not just going to the net, but the way you guys are executing around the front of the net this year? <clears throat> yeah, no, it's been good. I, I think when we've we've had troubles is when we don't have our levels, right? And that's a level play. You know, you, I want guys in the net, but I don't want three guys in front. You know, you have one guy's in front, then you have levels, we call it, and you know, you open the playbook, and you know, you, and it's okay to look at other teams, what they do well, and kind of see how, how are they successful. You know, and like I like Pavelski, if you watch, he's he's one of the best in the league at, at finding that slider. But now the D is doing a good job of finding that stick. They're not just shooting the puck for the sake of shooting. Now they're looking for that play, um, and it's a good play. If you're if you're defending and you're not under a guy's stick and you're a little bit loose, those are great plays. Um, so. You, we, you open the playbook, you look for different ways to, to score goals. We, were you happy with that front presence when you got here? Like, Can you compare what this team was like in front of the opposition net when you first arrived to what you are now? Like, some <clears> of the numbers <throat> say you were bottom 10 last year, and now you're, the numbers I have like top 8. Well, I, I wasn't I, – I guess – I don't know if it was the intent. Maybe it was the uh, – no, I, I don't know why. You know, I, I just know in this league to score, you got to have somebody get to the net. Um, when you're in the playoffs – very rarely you see tic tac goals. It's it's something around the net. It's you know, and it might not even be you scoring, but you're causing problems. And the, you know, the guy comes up late with a rebound from the side of the net because of you. So, 
if you want to be successful, you have to, you know, I don't care if you're five foot ten or if you're six foot seven, you got to get there. You know, obviously bigger guys have better leverage, but there's other ways for young, for young, for smaller guys to get there. You know, there's timing, there's spinning off a guy, there's showing a stick, there's different ways. And we stress it a lot here. Um, and, you know, the guys have taken it to heart. In a few, few games now without Carson Soucy, how do you feel your blue line has responded? What do you maybe like in terms of what, what they've been doing recently? What do you maybe want to see a bit more of? Well, I think, <clears throat> you know, when you, ha- you know, your depth is tested, you have to play a little bit quicker and even faster. You know, we don't want to spend time on our end. So I, I thought last night I saw, some, you know, I thought Friedman, <clears throat> I thought uh, Juleson was better at getting the puck right out. Uh, when we take it back, that's when we get in trouble. Um, so, yeah, our depth is going to be tested. You know, we need those guys to play some minutes. You know, I know, uh, I think uh, Footy backed off a little bit with uh, Hronik and, and Huggy in the second, which was good. In the second period, I think they got five or six minutes. The first period was too much. It was like nine to ten. We got to get those other guys some, but the, some minutes, but they got to be able to <clears throat> defend too. You know, they have to be able to get that puck out of our end quick. You know, they can't be holding on to pucks or getting stripped because then, then we're in trouble. And for those quicker exits, how much of it is also sort of on the forwards and yeah. and centermen to sort of help them out, give them options, that sort of thing? Yeah, 100 percent right. To me, and we'll have a, we actually have a video tomorrow about that. We we need our forwards to get back into position a little bit quicker. That's when you play fast. Sometimes we're a little bit, we're half a second, two second late, and it's okay to snap into a defenseman and and, and build a wall and just chip it by him or or, or win that stalemate. Um, sometimes we're a little bit slow to that position. And all fairness to the D, when you don't see a guy work hard to that position, what do you do? You hold it. So you're right. It's a 50-50 thing for me. With Kuzi Saturday, you're pretty frustrated with him. How are you feeling about him today? <clears throat> oh, he had some chances uh, yesterday. You know, that, that line just got to play faster. You know, um, they know. I think uh, they got to demand the puck more. Um, you know, Millsy's our best at that, you know, through the new zone, like when – he just goes and he demands the guy either to pass to him or ch- chip it by and he'll get on the forecheck. That line, if they can have that attitude, right, just get it and then knife through and give me the puck. Um, I think sometimes they're a little bit, everybody's waiting for, you know, you know, waiting for an opening and instead of, like, demanding the puck. Um, we watched video today and, you know, I just don't want them to get frustrated, you know. Um, they, they're, they're a big part of our team. Speaking of frustration, I just had a chat with Beauvillier, who says he knows he's doing a lot of good things, but he also knows that he's been a goal scorer in this league and the goals just aren't there for him. Like, what are the nature of your conversations with him right now, and where are you with his game and the, the lack of goals? I thought he – I threw him on the line with JT and uh, Bess. I thought, you know, they got that goal he was on there, and he had a, he had the crossbar. I mean, he, he had four or five chances. I, I thought he was quick on the puck. I, that's when he's at his best. Um, they're going to go. They're going to come, but he's got to, he's got to continue to play inside. I mean, look, he's got a cut on his face. He's got, I think he took a cross check there, and he bounced right back up. You know, um, he's got to continue to do that stuff, and they'll go. But I, I do like his game yesterday. I thought that's why I put him with uh, JT and, and Bess. I thought he deserved a chance to go and get up there. It wasn't so much about Phil as it was about Well, I, I just think sometimes, you know, it's okay to throw a new, new fresh blood in there, get, get that line, maybe a few more different looks and some more chances. But... Um, you know, obviously, Millsy, whoever he plays with, he really drives that line. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett addressing the media after the team practice today, and they'll be on their way to Colorado to play 
the avalanche tomorrow. Uh, a lot in there, as there always is with Talkit. And one thing you mentioned was Hoaglander, right? Well, Hoaglander, yeah, off yeah. the top, talking about we haven't talked about we haven't talked about him. the Slewfoot and uh, gets ejected from uh, the game. I was stunned, stunned by the amount of Canucks fans who are like, "That's incidental contact." Like yeah, that's, no, that's the slew foot. If you can't see that as a slew foot, like I, I don't know what to tell you. Now, and I think there was maybe some surprise because the rule has changed. The rule has changed. Yeah. So, so I it's think an people automatic I think major. people thought that it was the refs were like adding extra on top of it, but it was just automatic, correct? Yeah. And then the intent to injure yeah. was reviewed and they assessed that and then the league reviewed it again and find him like you can't review that in more forensic detail and every, every level of the NHL concluding it's a slew foot. By the way, the fact that he got the major in the intent to injure game misconduct probably spared him 100%. from getting supplemental discipline. Yeah. Although also the fact that LeBanc wasn't ultimately hurt, although he did immediately go back to the locker room after the hit. Really quickly. <coughs> excuse me. Really quickly. Bad play. Reckless, for sure. But if Hoaglander can play on the edge a little bit, it kind of gives him an identity on this team. And I don't think it's all of a sudden like, oh, Hoaglander's a dirty player. You know what I mean? I don't know. He's he's things, had, he's had things, a supplemental disciplinary history dating back to his days in the SHL. Thing, um, things happen in the heat of the moment. And it can be rec- I think you can be reckless without being dirty. That's the distinction I would make. Uh, sure, and I, I'm just saying I don't think it's a distinction that matters. If Hoaglander can bring edge, I think this right. team can use it. You know, this team could use a, a hardworking, high-motored guy who opponents know they got to keep their head up around. As, a as, pest. They could as, use a pest. As absolutely troglodyte as that is for me to say, like, I don't think... I don't think having a moment like that, I mean, aside from being a little lighter in the wallet today... um is going to harm Hoaglander's chances of sticking in the lineup and contributing to this team. Yeah, and I mean, as much as, and you know, Rick Tockett was singing the praises of Dakota Joshua, and Joshua's been really good recently. Oh, he was awesome last night. But I don't know if, like, Joshua plays physical, but how often (laughs) does he... Do you think Joshua just, like, thinks that the Sharks, he's like, I've got their number. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to crush these guys. I wonder, like, because he had almost... He had that great game. Great game against them last year, yeah. Yeah, I wonder wonder if... um, um. Yeah, I wonder if he sees himself sort of like um, like Quint, like the shark killer. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. <laughs> so good. Um, but Joshua, Joshua plays physical, but it's not like I don't know if he annoys the heck out of the other team. You know what I mean? In the in the same way that like the great pests can, and you don't have to be a big player to be a pest. No. Frequently, you're not. Frequently, it's the smaller ones that are the most annoying. And I do agree that there is a role open for a player like that on this team he for needs, sure. He needs like a signature grin, you know, like a hey, 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 like yeah. a Woody Woodpecker grin. Anyway, um, thought he, th- he needs thought, a smirk. Thought the officials got that right. Was shocked that Canucks fans didn't see that as uh, as a hit as. That, that was as serious as it was and as warranting uh, of, of penalty uh, as it was. And all of that said, 
I don't know that it's a bad look on Hoaglander to have plays like that. I, yeah. I just don't. And look, as you said, he gets kicked out of the game. It ultimately doesn't cost the Canucks. They kill off the penalty. They, they give score. up the one goal. Yeah, they score. They break even on the penalty. Uh, and he'll be able to be back in the lineup uh, against the against the Avalanche. And interesting, as mentioned, talk at confirming that Pew Suter won't travel, still being evaluated on a day-to-day basis. And he was asked about, you know, is there a roster, is there a corresponding roster move coming as you go out on the three-game trip here, and he said, well, look, you know, that's above my pay grade. There's salary cap issues there and everything. I don't believe that Carson Soucy has been put on LTI at this point, right? Mm. But you would think he's a candidate. I mean, yep. if he's out six to eight weeks. So I do wonder if we see that and we see a player brought up. Because uh, right now, with Suter out of the lineup, they only have the uh, the 12 healthy forwards. And as uh, as Tockett said, you would love to have a little bit of a buffer going out on a three-game road trip, three in Four nights coming up uh, for the Canucks. Um, a couple people have. Uh, is there anything else from Talkit you want to hit on here quickly? I don't think so. I mean, they're going to need forward depth for this trip. Uh, at least though, like your second game is in Seattle, so I don't know that you need to leave with forward. Interesting, depth because you're you can only... get one down to Seattle in a hurry. You can drive there in two hours from Abbotsford. Yeah, it's a good point. So, um, you know, there, there's at least, uh, you know, the, this is one where it's not like Florida, right? Before the Florida, for like a week before the Florida trip, it was like, you need to figure this out. You're going to have to do something. You yeah. need to have an extra body with you. I don't think you do this time out. Yeah, that's fair. But I still, uh, I would look for something, maybe some movement with Carson Susie to LTI and a forward coming up. Yeah, I also, I, I wish um, someone had asked about Willannon. I need to understand. What's Willannon's status? Yeah, like, why haven't we seen Willannon? You know, Willannon's at the point where he's, um, oh my God, Poochie? You mean when it, whenever he's not on the screen, everyone should be asking where he is? <laughs> right now, whenever Christian Willannon isn't in the lineup, everyone should be asking, where is Christian Willannon? Where's Christian Willannon? Like, I'm pretty serious. I'm, I'm serious here. I, I legitimately think that this team's best bet to survive the Susie injury and I think you've already seen the impact of it. I don't think it's been pretty. Well, Landon Myers, Cole Friedman. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm not even, like, nervous about that. I wouldn't even be nervous about that. Like, do I think it should be upgraded if this team's going to be a contender? Sure. Do I think they can leg out a 100-point season if they have to play 20 games with that as their top six? 100%. Provided there's no further injury, I'm I'm legitimately not concerned. Yeah, 100%. So, Christian Pucci, Willannon, everyone should be asking, where is Willannon? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, we'll see him at some point. It's got to just be a health thing, right? Like, uh, I think I, he's going to be. So. I think I he's going to be here at some point. Do we, who do, knows? Do you, how, much, how much more patience do you have to see Akito Hirose at the NHL level? Oh, right now? Not a lot. Not if Christian Willannon, especially not if Christian Willannon is, is an option. Yeah, I, I, like... I think Akito Hirose play 25 minutes a night down in the American yeah. League because by the end of the season you've got to be pushing to make the league at the age of 25. You know what I mean? Like, or there's nothing there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, quickly, and I. I'm, I'm, so this is a. Where's Christian Willannon? That's all I'm sure. going to say. This was a text that came <laughs> in. Uh, this was a text that came in near the beginning of the show, and I'm mostly bringing it up because it touches on to me one of the most interesting stories around the NHL happening right now. And somebody texts in: Should the Canucks trade? For Patrick Laine. And of course, we've been talking about, hey, you would love to add an elite talent on the wing. Patrick Laine is a healthy scratch in Columbus. And again, look, I don't need to get into 
I, I don't think I don't think they're going to trade for Patrick Laine. Should the Canucks add another one-dimensional scoring winger whose prime skill is on the power play? As I, but I, well, I mostly wanted to bring it up just to spend a couple of minutes, like marveling at the wreckage in Columbus. Oh, it's unbelievable! And your athletic colleague uh, Aaron Portsline, who of course does a fantastic job covering the Blue Jackets, has a piece I think that was just published during our show with some fire quotes from Patrick Laine about how yeah. embarrassed he was, how he was blindsided. By the uh, by, being healthy scratch for the first time in his NHL career, it is like it's hard, and we've seen some seasons go off the rails in Vancouver. This is firing your coach, your newly hired coach, before he coaches a game, benching like all of your most recent high-profile acquisitions, benching or healthy scratching them, sending a, a, a recent fifth overall pick down to the minors, telling. A recent having him change agents and it's clear that they're going to agitate for a deal. Tell, yeah. Telling your a, a recent top ten pick in your sack, like, hey, buy, a, get a place here, stick around, and, You're, then, and then sending him, him down, reassigning him right after that. Jeez, and that one, by the way, that one, by the way, veteran players get furious when that happens to young guys. It reminds me a little bit of the Daryl Sutter Jacob Pelche comment. Where it's like, that, it, 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 you know what worse. I mean? It's where worse. it's like, but but just in the sense that it's like, that's something that players really notice and don't like. Oh, hate it. They hate it. Um, I was in Columbus at American Thanksgiving two years ago, and I had dinner at Aaron Portsline's place. Mm-hmm. And the day that I had dinner at Aaron Portsline's place, I went to the famous practice where... The Canucks were trying to keep it light, and JT Miller yelled out, you know, I don't know what the F we're doing, and I sort of misinterpreted it as, like, part of... Now, I captured what had happened completely correctly, but the spirit of it was that the Canucks were literally just trying, like, a change-up practice where we do all sorts of quirky things, Yeah, and it was a good-natured thing. It wasn't emblematic of the team's overall dysfunction. But... I remember that night bringing my laptop to Thanksgiving dinner just in case, right? I thought there was a real chance. And, of course, it was the next night on Hockey Night in Canada that, like, Friedman dropped uh, Claude Julien's name and Scott Walker's name. And then things really started moving. There were two games left, ultimately, in the Travis Green era beyond that Columbus game. Saturday night, American Thanksgiving two years ago. So, uh, thinking about Porty, because, you know... (laughs) <laughs> I've been with him through covering these myself, and he's definitely in one. But you know what? The good thing about Portsline, like, stay tuned yeah, to a Portsline on Twitter. Yeah, he's going to be way ahead of this and have incredible takes. And I it. think just in general, the you know we're getting people texting in, hey, can the Canucks trade for this guy? Like the the vultures are going to be circling around Columbus because that is a franchise in just an absolutely dreadful yeah. place right I, now. Text coming in. I'd rather have Jack Roslovic than Lion A. It's like. This isn't a multiple choice, like, which is the most correct. It's like, you don't have to take And now, now Andrew Peake, <laughs> sign me up. Oh, God. <laughs> Before we sign out, because we do have to go, I just want to leave everyone on a note from uh, Thomas Dominic Toretto Drance uh, that everyone should uh, live their day by. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Thank you, Dom. You know, that's You're a welcome. little, that's, that's, See, Dom Dom Toretto, not really a process guy. No. 
results is all that's matter. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm like winning's only winning if he, it's sustainable. He's a big like <laughs> he's a big like QB wins guy. That's yeah, totally. It's quarterbacks. Do- Dominic Toretto. Winning is winning. No, it's not. Winning sustainably is real winning, Dom. All right, that's enough. We're back tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It is Sportsnet 650.